Um, as always, my, my prayer is that the study of God's Word is enriching for your life. Uh, it's the greatest story ever told, and it's so important for us to see the thread that God has, has penned of salvation running all the way through the pages of the Scriptures leading us to Christ. And that's what we've been doing all week. We've been building up into these great things to, to talk about Jesus. But there's also many difficult things that we must talk about, about the Scriptures. And one of those concepts is the concept of exile. It's a recurring theme in the Scriptures that we see in this cycle over and over again as God is trying to help the fallen human race. The holy God had communion and, and had fellowship with the holy man, but sin causes us to fall from him. And so from that time, God has initiated his rescue plan trying to bring us back. But in the midst of that is, a, is the picture of exile and the theme that recurs, beginning with Adam in Genesis chapter 3. After they had committed sin and God saw that they became as, as uh, to know good and evil, God, the Lord said there in verse 22, the Lord said, Behold, the man has become as one of us to know good and evil. And now lest he put forth his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord sent him forth from the garden of Eden to till the ground from whence he was taken. So he drove out the man and he placed at the east of the garden of Eden cherubims and a flaming sword which turned every way to keep the way of the tree of life. After mankind, the first humans, lost their holiness, God drove them away from him. They dro he drove them away from his presence, and they were driven out of the garden, the beautiful and wonderful paradise where the tree of life is. They lost access to that great blessing. Now, this is the first time we see this happening, but this would not be the last. You know, it's interesting, after... Uh, in Genesis chapter 4, after this sin is described, we see the effect that sin has on the children of Adam and Eve, Cain and Abel. What, you, you remember the story, Cain is upset because his worship was incorrect before God, and God is displeased and rejects his offering. And out of anger and out of jealousy over his brother Abel, whom God did uh, accept because he, was, he did it in faith and obedience to God, and he had a more excellent sacrifice than Cain. Cain went and murdered his brother. And when God tells him about the punishment that he's going to bear, Cain says, Lord, it's too much for me to bear. And when God sends him out, it says that he, was, he went out from the presence of the Lord. There in Genesis chapter 4. So we see this happening. A driving out from the presence of God. Now Abraham, when we talked about Abraham, he, he sort of experienced a sort of exile. It wasn't like an, in the negative context of an exile, but he, he was commanded to leave his dwelling place because that's what happens when, we, uh, when an exile occurs. You leave the place where you belong and you have to now go to some other place where you don't belong. And in, in the case of Abraham, God told him to be a stranger and a pilgrim. That means he's a foreigner in a place that he doesn't belong in a land that isn't his. When God came to him and, and made this promise in Genesis 12, notice what he said there in verse 1. Now the Lord said to Abram, Get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and from thy father's house unto a land that I will show thee. So Abraham experiences a type of separation here. He has to leave his home. He has to leave his country. He has to leave his family, his father's house, to go into this place that God's going to lead him. And he is a stranger and a pilgrim in Canaan. Now again, this, this concept of being a stranger and a pilgrim, it's sort of connected with this idea of exile because you're a foreigner in a place that is not where you belong. It is not your homeland. You know, I visited Belize last year. I went, I'm, I'm from the United States. I went to Belize. I didn't belong there. I was a foreigner in that land. I was a stranger in that land. Not familiar with their ways, not familiar with their customs. And that's the same way. He calls Abraham to leave his home 
although exiling seems to be more negative. They're forced to leave. You are forced to leave and you are usually in bondage. And this is what God told Abraham when he made the promise and confirmed this promise to him. You remember when we talked about Abraham and he cut those animals in half and he laid them on the sides and the the burning, smoking furnace and the candle and the the lampstand passed through those things and it was God entering a covenant with himself? Well, right before that, Abraham, he falls into this deep sleep and God comes to him and promises him that his people were going to be strangers and captives, exiled, Genesis chapter 15, and when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram, and lo, a great horror of darkness fell upon him. And he said to Abram, know of a surety that thy seed shall be a stranger in a land that is not theirs, and shall serve them, and they shall afflict them four hundred years. God promises and foretells of the descendants of Abraham being in bondage as strangers. They're going to be in a place they don't belong, in bondage to, to wicked oppressors. And that's exactly what happened to them as Egypt rises up as wicked, cruel taskmasters over them and has them in slavery and in bondage for 400 years until the time that God brings them out of that captivity. But even after they've come out of that captivity, they're still wandering about in the wilderness in a place that they don't belong and God is leading them to the promised land. But God still allows them to be overtaken by their enemies and oppressed by their enemies because because of their heart and their attitude. Judges chapter 2, verse 14, the anger of the Lord was hot against Israel, and he delivered them into the hands of the spoilers that spoiled them, and he sold them into the hands of their enemies round about, so that they could not any longer stand before their enemies. Every time the people of God looked to their own ways, they were driven from his presence. And he allowed the enemies to spoil them, and he allowed their allowed them to be sold into the hands of their enemies, exiled into the dominion of his enemy. Now, by the time we get through the history of judges and we see the rising up of these judges that would deliver these, these stiff-necked people that would constantly murmur against God and turn themselves to idols, God would raise up a judge and deliver them. But as soon as that judge died, they'd go right back into idolatry. And so God kept having to raise up judges for another uh, 400 years or so. And And they went through this process until finally they looked around and said, we want a king like everybody else. And so they establish a kingdom. And and they become a a kingdom. But then because of sin and because of idolatry and because of turmoil, that kingdom is divided and ripped in two. Ten tribes migrate to the north and they're the tribe of Israel, or the kingdom of Israel rather. And two tribes go to the south and they are the kingdom of Judah. And so we see this concept of exile again happening for both of these kingdoms. And now Israel... The ten tribes that went to the north, they continually gave themselves over to idolatry. And, and God was very displeased with them for this. And it, and it comes to pass that eventually God would remove them. But he, but he cries against their actions in Second Kings chapter 17. It says, and they left all the commandments of the Lord their God. And they made them molten images. Remember when God brought them out of Egypt? He said, don't make these images. Don't bow yourselves down to these idols. And they gave themselves completely over to this practice. They made two calves, speaking of the sin of Jeroboam when he led them, uh, when he became their king. And they made a grove and worshipped all the hosts of heaven, the stars and the moon and all the planets. They, they served these things as if they were gods. And they served Baal. And they caused their sons and their daughters to pass through the fire. They burnt and offered their children up in sacrifice to these idols. And they sold themselves to do evil in the sight of the Lord to provoke him to anger. 
Remember when we talked about in the, in the rebellion of Korah, how these priests would rise up and try to make more value for themselves? And the more we rise up and try to make ourselves valuable, the more we sell ourselves into sin and devalue ourselves. That's exactly what these people did. And because they committed this evil in the sight of the Lord, God removed Israel and let Assyri- the Assyrians come in and take them. It says in 2 Kings 17, For the children of Israel walked in the, all the sins of Jeroboam, which he did. He was the first king over Israel, started idolatry, and they stayed in idolatry. And they departed not from them until the Lord removed Israel from out of his sight. He drove them from his presence. Now they're out of his sight. As he had said by all his servants, the prophets, who he sent over and over and over to warn them. But what did the, Israel, uh, the kingdoms of Israel do? They persecuted the prophets and they killed the prophets. And so was Israel carried away out of their own land unto Assyria unto this day. God drove them from his presence. They're now exiled and they're strangers in a land that does not belong to them, and they're in captivity to this other kingdom, an enemy kingdom of the people of God. That's what happened to the Israelites. The kingdom of Israel. Carried off into exile. And the same thing happens to the kingdom of Judah later in their history. And this comes at the hands of Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon. In Second Chronicles 36, Beginning in verse 14, it says, Moreover, all the chief of the priests and the people transgressed very much after the abominations of the heathen. Isn't that sad to read? The chief of the priests. We read about that kind of thing happening with the sons of Eli. We talked about that just last night, how they polluted the offering of God and, and corrupted the peace offering and got more for themselves because they were so selfish about their own glory. And this was happening in the kingdom of Judah. All the chief of the priests and the people transgressed very much after all the abominations of the heathen. And they polluted the house of the Lord, which he had hallowed in Jerusalem. The place of their worship, the centerpiece, the temple of God, is polluted by their idol worship. And the Lord God of their father sent unto him by his messengers, rising up betimes and sending, because he had compassion on his people and on his dwelling place. But they mocked the messengers of God and despised his words and misused his prophets until the wrath of the Lord arose against his people, until there was no remedy. Therefore, he brought upon them the king of the Chaldees, that's the Babylonians, that's Nebuchadnezzar, who slew their young men with a sword in the house of their sanctuary, and had no compassion upon young man or maiden, old man or him that stooped for age. He gave them all into his hand. And all the vessels of the house of God, great and small, and the treasures of the house of the Lord, and the treasures of the king and of his princes, all these he brought to Babylon. And they burnt the house of God and break down the wall of Jerusalem and burnt all the places thereof with fire and destroyed all the goodly vessels thereof. What a tragedy. These Babylonians came in and became the oppressors of God's people and God gave them into their hand. And these Babylonians destroyed the temple and broke down the wall of Jerusalem. Their home, their center of worship now lies in ruin. And why? What's the reason that God lets these nations come in? And what's the reason that he lets his people be exiled and come into bondage and slavery at the hands of his enemy? It's because of their own sin. God foretold about this over and over again. In Deuteronomy 29, he said, Even all nations shall say, Wherefore hath the Lord done this unto this land? 
What meaneth the heat of this great anger? Then men shall say, because they have forsaken the covenant of the Lord, the God, uh, God of their fathers, which he made with him when he brought them forth out of the land of Egypt. Why is God doing this? Because they forsook God. And then God forsook them. Sin is what separates his people. We saw it over and over with Adam and with, even with Cain and with the children of Israel and, in, and them in the, Canaan, in the land of Canaan and in the kingdoms over and over and over again. The reason that their separation is not because of God's fault and it's not because of he did something evil against his people. He wanted to help them. He had compassion on them. He loved them and sent them prophets to try to help them turn away. But it was their sin. Isaiah prophesies to them and says, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save. It's not as though if God can't reach you. Our God is mighty to save. Our God has the capability of doing this. He says it's not His fault. Neither is His ear heavy that He can't hear you. But your iniquities have separated between you and your God. And your sins have hid His face from you that He will not hear. The reason that exile happens is because of our own sin and then we cannot stand in the presence of God and we must be driven out. That's what happened to the Israelites. That's the picture we're seeing, this recurring theme. When sin is committed, we are cast out and we are given over to our enemies. And while the people of Israel are exiled in Babylon with the temple of God, the center of their worship, and their home city, Jerusalem, lying in waste with the walls of defense, this great city, the great city of the king, lying in ruin. The Bible tells us about their tremendous sorrow. In Psalm 137, what a heartfelt psalm. By the rivers of Babylon, there we sat down. Yea, we wept when we remembered Zion. We hanged our harps upon the willows in the midst thereof. For they, they that carried, away, carried us away captive required of us a song. And they that wasted us required of us mirth, saying, sing us one of the songs of Zion. How shall we sing, sing the Lord's song in a strange land? These people are broken, defeated, humiliated, in bondage, and they're in weeping, and they are joyless in this state of bondage and exile from God. How can we sing God's song in a strange land, in a place we don't belong, in a place where His presence is not? God told them that when they reached this state and they were in bondage, that they would not only feel weeping and they would feel joyless, they would hate themselves because of their own sin. Ezekiel chapter 6 says, And they that escape of you shall remember me among the nations, whether they shall be carried captives, because... I am broken with their whorish heart, which hath departed from me, and with their eyes, which go a-whoring after other gods. And they shall loathe themselves for the evils which they have committed in all their abominations. And they shall know that I am the Lord, and I have not said in vain that I would do this evil unto them. God promised a long time ago, if they did this, he would drive them away from his presence. And God says, when they reach this point, they're going to have self-loathing. They're always going to carry this in their memory. And remember, we're the ones who departed from God. And in fact, you see that in some of the writings of these prophets. Daniel, in Daniel chapter 9, he prays this beautiful prayer. And he says, Lord, it's, it's not your fault. It's our own fault. It's our own sin. It's our own transgression that has caused this. And you can hear the self-loathing and the words that he has. And he carries with them. They hate themselves for doing this to themselves. And every time they say, you're the, you're the just one. 
And what you're doing is right. What we have done is wrong. We're the ones who have committed evil. And I want you to notice what is embedded right here in this passage. It's not only God that, that weeps and is in mourning, or not only his people, but it is God himself. His heart is broken when we are exiled from him, when we are driven from his presence. God weeps. He hates being separated from his people, his holy people that he created to enjoy a relationship with, to be his holy image bearers. Now this covenant is broken between the holy God and the holy man, and man has corrupted themselves, and he drives them from his presence, and it breaks his heart. When we use our own eyes, just like Eve did in the garden, God said, don't eat this tree, it is evil. And it says, when she saw that it was good. And from that time, we, we are plagued with this lust of the eyes, looking about at the things that God has called evil, and we say, this looks good. That's what the Israelites were doing. And so God drove them from His presence. And if we ever think that God is happy with casting away wickedness from Himself, we would be absolutely wrong. Ezekiel chapter 18, 31. Cast away from you all your transgressions, whereby you have transgressed, and make you a new heart and a new spirit. For why will you die, O house of Israel? For I have no pleasure in the death of him that dieth, saith the Lord God. Wherefore, turn yourselves and live. This was the pleading of a God with a broken heart that looks at his people, and he says, stop doing this. Stop committing these transgressions. Why will you die? Choose life. Choose life. Follow his commandments. And it tells us there, he, he's not happy about the wicked dying in their sins and being separated from him. In fact, he says elsewhere in Ezekiel 33, I believe, he says, I don't have any pleasure in the, in, in the wicked that perishes, but in that he repents and turns back. That's what God is pleased with. That's what God is happy with. But in this state of, of exile, there is weeping. And even when, it, when the children of Israel were released from their captivity, and, and it, it approached this time, and there were people escaping, and they were going back to the land of Jerusalem, it just never was right again. Nehemiah, with his heartfelt words, when he sees one of his brethren of his own country, a fellow Jew, he says, Hanani, one of my brethren came and, he's, and certain men of Judah, and I asked them concerning the Jews that escaped, which were left of the captivity and concerning Jerusalem. And they said to me, the remnant that are left of the captivity there in the province are in great affliction and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem is also broken down, and the gates thereof are burned with fire. And it came to pass when I heard these words that I sat down and wept and mourned certain days and fasted, and prayed before the Lord God of heaven. Nehemiah's excited at first. There's people that came from the land. How is it? It's in ruin. And he crumbles. This is how the people of God felt as they waited for their, their, their coming king to vanquish all the foes and to rebuild the temple. And even after the 70-year captivity to Babylon and the destruction of this first temple at the hands of Nebuchadnezzar, they rebuild the temple, but they never really come back. They continue, as time goes on and history goes on, to be overrun and to be oppressed by enemy kingdoms. 
And even after they rebuild the temple, the temple is later defiled by Antiochus Epiphanes. And then after much time passes, they come under Roman rule. And they're still in bondage to greater power. And the the Romans would go on to destroy that second temple in 70 AD. The Jews never really came back. And they always longed for something better. They always longed for something more because all throughout their history, even though when they were failing and committing sin and turning away from God, he gave them glimmers of hope that one day the enemy would be vanquished and this restoration would happen for his people. It starts in the garden with Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. When Adam commits sin, he tells the serpent, I will put enmity between thee and the woman, between thy seed and her seed. It, the seed of the woman, the one that would come, the promised son, would bruise thy head and thou shalt bruise his heel. And the people had this long-awaited hope for this promised seed to come down through the promise of Abraham. And God told them that someday you're going to go and be captive, but I'm going to bring you back. Notice what he says in Deuteronomy 30, verses 1 through 4. And it shall come to pass, when all these things are come upon thee, that the blessing and the curse which I have set before thee, and thou shalt call them to mind among the nations, whither the Lord thy God hath driven thee, and shalt return to the Lord thy God and shall obey his voice according to all that I command thee this day, thou and thy children with all thine heart and with all thy soul, that then the Lord thy God will turn thy captivity and have compassion on thee and will return and gather thee from all the nations. There again, the blessing of Abraham, that through the promised seed all nations would be blessed. And he tells them, when you come back and return for me, I will gather you from all nations, whither the Lord thy God has scattered thee. And if any of thine be driven out unto the uttermost part of heaven, from thence will the Lord thy God gather thee, and from thence will he fetch thee. God tells them, when you come back to me, I will go to the farthest reaches of the earth to come and get you. Because he loves his people. And he wants them to be in his presence. And he's not satisfied and not happy when the wicked perish. But he's happy when they turn. And he can bring them back to himself. And at the time Jeremiah is writing and they're in this captivity and they're longing for this great hope and they're longing for this release and remembering these words that God said that he would return them from from the captivity. Notice what Jeremiah says. He says, Therefore behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that they shall no more say, The Lord liveth, which brought up the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt. No, but the Lord liveth, which brought up and which led the seed of the house of Israel out of the north country and from all the countries where I had driven them. And they shall dwell in their own land. God would turn back this exile and bring us back to himself. And these Jews knew this hope. And they lived in this hope. And though they mourned and they wept and were in the shadow of darkness and death all their life, they waited for that light to spring up and to give them this hope. Now there's great lessons for us to learn in this theme of exile. The first is, just as we learn from the children of Israel, sin is what separates us from God. Sin is what makes us estranged from God. Because we make terrible choices. As as we read there in Deuteronomy, he says, I've laid this before you, the blessing or the curse. He told the Israelites, choose this day what you're going to do. Do you want life or do you want death? The choice is yours. Paul said this very thing in Romans 6, verse 16. Know ye not that to whom you yield yourselves servants to obey, 
his servants you are, to whom you obey, whether of sin unto death or obedience unto righteousness. Paul said, don't, we, don't you know and don't you see? You want to be somebody's slave because we are somebody's slave. We could either be the slave of sin or we can be God's freed servant. A child of the promise, made free by the word of God, free indeed, as Jesus said. But he said, it's, it, we're putting ourselves under bondage. We're putting ourselves in the state of exile because we make the wrong choices and we choose sin. And it leads us to this peril of death. And we sell ourselves. We look for this great value in all these things of the world. And we want to puff ourselves up with this greatness. And the more we do that, the more we sell ourselves into the bondage and the slavery of sin. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 17, God describes these people that in the vanity of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling have given themselves over unto lasciviousness to work all uncleanness with greediness. We just can't get enough when we get ourselves to this point. So deep in sin, so sold out for it, that we're just completely in bondage and wrapped up in these chains and, and we think it's a good thing. But that's what makes us go into the captivity of Satan. Second Timothy 2, Paul described about teaching the gospel to people. So what? So that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil who are, who are taken captive by him at his will. We make these foolish choices. We get these foolish desires. We see with our own eyes what God has called evil. We instead say, hey, that looks good. And we go and reach out for those things and we make ourselves servants of the devil and are taken captive by him. And we're tricked into thinking, hey, when we got out of this place, that's the, that's the real land of milk and honey. Just like in the rebellion of Korah. The people were crying and saying, you should have let us go back to Egypt. That's the real land of milk and honey. No, it's not. That's the place of sin. That's a place of death. That's a place of bondage and oppression. And we put ourselves there. That's the truth. We put ourselves into captivity of Satan and we are estranged from God. Ephesians chapter 2 says that at that time you are without Christ, being aliens, strangers. You are unknown to God. Remember Matthew chapter 7? He says, depart from me, you that work iniquity. I don't know you. Because you're an alien. You're alienated from God. From the commonwealth of Israel. And you're strangers from the covenant of promise having no hope and without God in the world. Sin is what separates us from the holy God. But the blessing that we have is that God frees us from that bondage and he turns back our captivity through Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 6, verse 4, Wherefore we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life, for if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. No longer should we be the slaves of sin. For he that is dead is freed from sin. And he goes on to talk about how Christ being raised up to, from, from sin and death, sin no longer has dominion over him. It doesn't rule over him as an oppressor, as somebody who has charge over them. Someone that we're enslaved to. When we make the decision to accept the gift that God offers to us, and we're baptized, 
We're being baptized into the death of Christ, being raised up a free person. Now made part of the children of promise, the children of freedom, as, as Jesus described in John chapter 3 and in other places that we talked about when we talked about Abraham and the son of promise. God frees us and he returns us from bondage. And what a blessing and what a joy it is to know that our bonds have been broken. The temple has been rebuilt. Jesus was raised from the dead that third day. Speaking of the temple of his body. He's the center of our worship. But there's a truth and a reality that sets in. We're still strangers and pilgrims in this world. Our citizenship is not here in this, in this world any longer. When we become a child of the king, our citizenship is in another place. And our home is in another place. Paul said in Philippians chapter 3, verse 20, for our conversation... Typically, that word means conduct, but in this context, it's our citizenship. Our citizenship is in heaven, from whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is in this new place, in this new world. He says, I go to prepare a place for you, that where I am, there you may be also. And Paul says, that's where our citizenship is. It's in heaven. And so we live now in this world as foreigners, in a place that we don't belong. We're not of the world any longer. And just like the children of Israel were slaves in the bondage of these people, God still expected them not to give in to the idols that were round about them and follow the customs of the people and just give themselves over to this even more. And we're constantly faced with that temptation as being strangers and pilgrims, still even in oppression and bondage of those that once ruled over us. And God expects us not to go right back into that bondage. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, it says, But you are a chosen generation a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people that you should show forth the praises of him who called you out of darkness. He, he, there was a great exodus that is taking place when he calls us out of darkness and, in, and puts us into his marvelous light, the place where we belong in the light and the life of Jesus, which in time past we were not a people. We were estranged from him. We were foreigners from his presence. But now, because of Christ and because of the baptism of Jesus, the uniting of us, us to himself, now we are a people. We are the people of God. Which before we didn't have mercy. But now we have mercy because of God. Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims. Abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. Having your conversation, your conduct, honest among the Gentiles. That whereas they speak evil or speak against you as evildoers. They may by your good works which they shall behold glorify God in the day of visitation. We hearken back to the days of Daniel living in bondage under King Nebuchadnezzar being asked to serve the idols and they say no. And God is with them and God walks with them and God blesses them and those enemies see the great glory of God through the works of those children. Daniel and, and Meshach and Shadrach and Abednego and the other brethren that lived during those days. We're living in a strange land. We're living in the world with constant corruption all about us, with constantly uh, inundated with idol worship, people wanting to pull us this way and that way, and we as strangers and pilgrims in this land are wandering about hoping to get back to our homeland, hoping to get to the place where we actually really belong, and trying not to give in to the sins, trying to be the holy people of God that has truly called us out. He's called us and gathered us up from all nations. And though we're living in the world... We must always constantly fight against the influence of evil that, that wars against our soul and the battle is not yet over. We still fight. Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3, For though we walk in the flesh, we war not after the flesh. 
There's a battle going on for your soul. As strangers and pilgrims, there are constant enemies coming to oppress you and want to take you captive and take you into bondage. And Paul says the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, it's not fleshly, it's not something physical, but through the mighty, our weapons are mighty through the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. The Bible encourages us strangers and pilgrims not to turn and go and go back into that captivity, but instead bring our thoughts into the captivity of Christ and make ourselves subject to the true and the great King, not turning back into the world of sin. And what a blessing we have to be a child of that kingdom. But reality sets in even more. While we're living as strangers, while we're living as pilgrims, though we've been freed from captivity, sometimes it feels like we've Never really come back. Because we don't forget the sins we committed. We carry that heavy weight with us and that burden. And then we still experience trouble from sin all around us. We carry the effects of sin with us and have fears and have dreads that overtake us at times. The shadow of the enemy still looms over us waiting to take us back into captivity at any moment. Second Peter 2, for when they speak great swelling words of vanity, they allure through the lust of the flesh, through much wantonness, those that were clean escaped from them who lived in error. We're living among wicked people, a wicked and crooked and perverse generation, as the Bible describes it in Acts chapter 2 and in other places. And they're alluring us to come right back into the cage, come right back into slavery, because it We have what's good in here. Everything you desire, it's here. Luring us back into the darkness. And while they promise them liberty, hey, you get to do whatever you want when you come here. You get to be the king here. They themselves are the servants of corruption. For of whom a man is overcome, of the same he is brought into bondage. For if after they have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled therein and overcome, the latter end is worse for them than in the beginning. Folks, we're constantly reminded of our sins and constantly face the the echoes of the fall and constantly face the domination of sin in our lives. And that sin, sadly, it easily besets us and it gets back in our way and we're foolish enough to think we can handle this and that, and we take it upon ourselves, and we weigh ourselves down where we're trying to run this race for God and be temperate athletes in this race. And, it's, and it easily besets us. It throws us off track. Hebrews chapter 12, we're foreseeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses. Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. The sad reality is that we sit here weeping and mourning like those children of Israel, waiting by the rivers of Babylon, sometimes in no joy in our lives because of the sin that so easily weighs us down and sets us off track. And we go through tribulation, and we go through distress, and we go through persecution, and we go through famine, and we go through nakedness, and peril, and sword. And we groan as we wait here and we weep because we still suffer. We suffer. 
We wait in our bodies for something different. We wait for our bodies to be taken home to the place where we actually belong. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5, For we that are in this tabernacle, speaking of our bodies, we do groan, being burdened. We still feel the sting of sin in our lives. We're burdened. We're weighed down. We're heavy. Not that we should be unclothed, but clothed upon, that mortality might be swallowed up in life. We know deep down inside that it should not be this way. And we still experience the sting of death in our lives. And, our, and we'll, we'll perish and our bodies will go to the grave. Because unfortunately, the reality of exile still is real. And we're going to experience the sting of death, which is a whole other type and a picture of exile. Pictured in the separation of our body and our soul. And it's terrible. And it's horrible. And it shouldn't be this way. That's not what God created us to be. He created us to, to have life. He created us to be immortal beings. And we ruined it because of sin. And we still do that. And we still face the consequences. Genesis chapter 3 verse 19. He told Adam in the sweat of thy face you will eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it were, were you taken. For dust thou art and to dust thou shalt return. Our bodies are going to fail and decay and break down until the day that we're put into the ground and go right back to the ground that, that, that we came from. That's what he told Adam. And our life is filled with turmoil and it's filled with pain and it's filled with sorrow. We can't deny that we see the, this dark shadow of death looming over us. Psalms chapter 116 verse 3, the sorrows of death compassed me and the pains of hell got hold of me. I found trouble and sorrow. And that's exactly what we find is trouble and sorrow. And our hearts break. When we hear of our family who is suffering because of the illnesses that overtake their lives, how can we not hear of a young mother getting cancer and not weep? Our family is suffering because of the sickness of sin. And we die. And our bodies are separated from our souls. And we experience death. And we know it shouldn't be this way. And yet, just like for the children of Israel, thank God there is a glimmer of hope. Jesus is our glimmer of hope. In Acts chapter 2, Verse 27, for you will not leave my soul in Hades, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. Jesus went down into this place, this place that is a separation of our souls and our bodies, and our souls are not meant to be there. And so Jesus, as the great deliverer, is risen from that grave, risen from that place, that realm of the dead, so that he can lead us out of there. It's called a prison. In other words, in, in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 19, when it talks about the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, it says, He went down in, by which also He went and preached unto the spirits in prison. Our souls go into this place that they don't belong. They're exiled and strangers and pilgrims in this land that does not belong to them in a, a, a world where we don't belong. And we're waiting for our souls to be reunited with our bodies so that we can go to the place where we do belong in our bodies, so that our bodies can go to the place where it does belong, transformed and forever changed so that we can enter into that homeland. 
When we go into this place of Hades, this is a place of separation. And we get a picture of this. We get a picture of this in Luke chapter 16. For so it was that the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. And being in torments in Hades, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus in his bosom. We go into this place as strangers and pilgrims. And who do we find there waiting to embrace the souls of his faithful seed? But our father Abraham, who was a stranger and pilgrim who hold on to that hope. He held on to that hope as he was a stranger and pilgrim and looked for a better country. And there when we die and our bodies and our soul are separated and our soul goes into this place, Father Abraham embraces us and reassures us with confidence and reminds us that though we be strangers in that place, our great God is able to raise us up from the dead because he saw it for himself when the son of promise was raised from that very place. We have hope. We have the blessing of hope. And we can be delivered from that fear if we choose to listen to God, if we choose to follow His ways. Because if not, we see a horrible picture of the rich man who chose not to listen to God, chose not to follow His ways. And when he went into that place of separation, he wasn't in a place of comfort. He was in a place of torment. Sitting there looking at what he could have had. Being embraced by, the, by our great father Abraham. The father of the faithful. And he looks and he begs and he says, please. Please. And there's no remedy. And he begs and he says, please send somebody to my family. So that they don't end up here. He's in torment, in regret of the things that he didn't do. Well, he had the opportunity. And what we see is that when we don't listen and we don't want God in this life, he'll let us experience the consequence of our own choice. Choose ye this day, he says, who you will serve, life or death. And he'll give us death. We'll be in this place of torment when we die in this world and when the judgment comes, there will be an eternal exile and we will be totally separated from God and from His presence. In 2 Thessalonians 1 verses 8 through 9, it says, In flaming fire taking vengeance on them that know not God and those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, these shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. Friends, I beg you while you have life in your lungs, while you hear these words, to not turn away from God, but instead let God rejoice in that you come back to him, that you cast off this heavy weight of sin, that you give up the, the destruction of our own ways, let go of these bonds of captivity that we're holding on to by our own choice. And come back to God, or else we will be exiled from Him for eternity. Living in the regret of what I could have done. 
I could have spent more time. I could have helped more people. I could have done more things. If I had just come forward. If I had just told somebody, I need help. And we'll be tormented by that. And tortured by that. Longing and weeping for this. And there will be no remedy. For it is an eternal exile. Thank you for listening to today's sermon podcast. If you'd like to know more about this subject or any other Bible topic, send us a message at our Facebook page, The Church of Christ, Wheeler Area.